Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. This is our second message entitled, Fully Devoted, Becoming a Person Who is Fully Following After Christ. The whole purpose of this particular series is simply to contact right into your spirit, into your mind, into your heart, into your soul, and bring you forward in your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. I obviously also want to define for us what it means to be a disciple, how we should follow Christ, and some of the criteria that's involved biblically with that. But I want you to really, in this particular message, get a hold of a few definitions Apply them to your life, put your diptych in, and try to make sure you understand where you are in your walk with Christ. Here at City Bible Church, we have a number of people that come in on different levels. Some people that have just come into the church were just water baptized last weekend. Some people were just saved in the last few days. Some people saved or come back to Christ on the last month, in the last six months, year. Some people have been followers of Christ for 5, 10, 20, 30 50 years, and more. And so we have all different levels of people that have accepted Christ at a different time in their spiritual journey. If you're here and you're just now starting that spiritual journey, maybe you're a person who is still trying to grasp who Christ is. I'm speaking to you. If you're a person who's already made that decision and you're just starting off, I think I have something to say to you. If you're a person who has been walking with Christ for a period of time, I think I have something to encourage you about your walk with the Lord and how we should develop that walk and how we should become a fully devoted, everyone say fully devoted, fully devoted follower of Christ. A fully devoted follower of Christ has some very special definitions in the scripture that helps us understand what it means to actually be a fully devoted follower of Christ. Of Christ. Matthew chapter 28, which is normally called verse 19, the Great Commission. I'm using this not just as the Great Commission, as in sending out missionaries or planting churches or going to the nations of the world. Again, we are absolutely into that. We want to send out missionaries. We want to plant churches. We want all the nations to be touched. We want all the people groups to receive the gospel. That's not something that's outside of our vision, that's right in the very core of our vision. That the world would hear the gospel. All the world would hear the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this particular scripture, in context of it, I'm trying to draw out what Jesus was actually saying to those followers right there in that local moment of time. As he would say to you and I, in this particular moment of time, how Christ would speak to you and I. Matthew 28 verse 19. Therefore, as you go, everyone say, as you go. Now take your hands with me and just do this. As you go, one more time, as you go. The proper translation of this particular verse where it says, go ye, as you go, is more the Greek tense that is used here. And it has to do with your life and my life and my life style. Therefore, As you go, disciple all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit. Another translation. Go then to all people everywhere and make them my disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is a command given not just to a few radical followers or to a few full-time pastors or to some Bible college students that really want to get radical and go out and share the gospel and then actually get involved with discipling somebody into the ways of God. This scripture is given to all believers. As you go, come on, say it one more time. As you go, what do you do? You go to all people, all nations, ethnos, all people groups, every kind of person. All people can receive the message of the gospel. You believe that? And I believe that. You and I happen to be the conduit. We happen to be the carriers of the message. And here Jesus is saying this as he leaves his earthly stent, his earthly ministry, the last words he's going to share with us along with the Acts 1-8 as he ascends and he says, wait for the power to come upon you so you can actually fulfill this great commission. These are the words that he uses to encourage us. As you go, you must make disciples. You must touch people in a specific way so that they actually change into this that he's teaching, that is, a disciple. The Great Commission in the Message Translation reads, Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life, making them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You go, you train, you make. Disciples are made, they are not born. You are born again in Christ, but then you become, you are made into a disciple. Here Jesus says, our commandment, our mandate, our vision, our primary purpose is that as we go about life in our neighborhood, in our job, we are actually to make disciples of all people that we are in contact with in our world, in our life. And in that comes the multiplication of the church. If the church is going to touch today's culture, it's not going to be a message of come into the building, but it's going to be the message of the people of God going into the highways and the byways all along the streets, the neighborhoods, the hospitals, the schools, every place we go. As we go, we share Christ, but we don't just share Christ in a for spiritual law track or just one scripture we drop on people, we actually want to win them to Christ. And then we want to start the job of discipling them into being a follower of Jesus. You cannot disciple someone into something you're not. So the first challenge, of course, is for you to become a disciple. A fully devoted disciple looks like this, at least conceptually. Discipleship is becoming a complete and fully devoted follower of Jesus. Submitting to his lordship and imitating him in every thought, word, and deed. Let's look at that just for a moment. Again, just stare at it, look at it, hear it. Discipleship is becoming a complete and fully devoted follower of Jesus. Submitting to his lordship, imitating him in every thought, Every word, 
and every deed. Another definition of discipleship, disciples undergo a changed lifestyle. If you're going to become a fully devoted disciple of Christ, it must affect your lifestyle manifested through your values, your goals, your perspectives, activities, and relationship. When you accept Jesus, things begin to change. Remember the illustration I gave last weekend about the shoe factory. How the shoe factory has all the busyness inside. People are making shoes. But as you wait outside the shoe factory on the conveyor belt, waiting for the shoes to come out so you can load them onto your truck and go your way, you wait and you wait and shoes never come out. After a while, you knock on the door. You question whether it's a shoe factory. You get discouraged. You get frustrated. Why don't we see shoes coming out of the shoe factory? So it is with the church in the 21st century. Where are the disciples? Where are the shoes? All the activity, all the services, all the radio stations, all the television programs, Christian television programs, all the seminars, all the stuff we do. Where's the disciples? In America, what about the morality standard? Why can't we change things in America? Because we have so many Christians, but where's the disciples? Where's the people that actually carry the burden, carry the standard? have a changed lifestyle. They do not commit the same sins that the unbeliever commits. They're different. I know it sounds ludicrous for me to say, but it is very difficult to tell the difference between an unbeliever and a believer in today's church world. Difficult to see the difference between the lifestyle of those who just name themselves as a Christian and those who go to church and those who serve another God, and another religion. Why is that? Where's the disciples? It's not a matter of you just coming to the altar and signing a card. It's not a matter that you would just come to a place where you would call upon the name of Jesus, his saviorship. Okay, that works. You can call upon the name of Jesus and you will be saved, but it doesn't stop there. Jesus never preached a salvation-only message, a saveism only. Jesus never preached an altar call message only. The message that Christ preached was quite a hard message and a message that a lot of people rejected because they did not like to be involved with this thing called discipleship. Now, two words I'd like you to write down. I know you know these, but let's just go to school on them for a moment. The word Christian and the word disciple. The word Christian we use all the time about everybody and anybody. Christianized America, this word has lost its punch, lost its context of meaning, and has lost its identity upon certain people. It's been polluted and diluted into a word that doesn't mean a whole lot to a lot of people nowadays. But it should. The word Christian means a person who believes Jesus is the Christ. Well, that right there could be a challenge for some people because there are people who believe Jesus is a great prophet or is a great teacher, but he's really not virgin birth, born without sin, died for you and I, rose from the dead, the Christ. And so there's a confusion even in the believism about Jesus. But a a true Christian is a person who believes Jesus is the Christ, a person who follows the teachings 
or manifest the qualities, our spirit, which is the character and attitude of Jesus Christ. Simply, a follower of Christ. Now, we are supposed to be Christian, that we actually believe Christ, follow his teachings, manifest, display his character beyond any shadow of doubt. If you put a Christian up with 10 other people, you can pick out the Christian by the way they live, by the way they talk, by the way they marry, by the way they raise their children, by the way they do their finance, by the way they relate to society, by the way they help the poor, by the way they live life. They are to be called Christ-like, a Christian. A disciple is the word that Jesus used to define those that were following him. The word disciple, Methodus in the Greek, I broke it down into three simple definitions. First of all, this word implies the existence of a personal attachment that shapes the whole life of a person. Simply, a supremely personal union with Christ. Going to church does not make you a disciple. You must be in Christ. Christ must be in you in order for you to have a living, personal union relationship. And that kind of a relationship will bring into your life the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the virtue of Jesus because Jesus really lives in you. Prayer is easy because it flows out from you. When Jesus and you have a relationship, fruit is easily born. And those things of the kingdom of God, such as the Beatitudes and the Holy Spirit activities in your life, are easily portrayed and manifested because it's a personal union. You are actually in relationship with Jesus. This word actually means a learner. One who intensely follows another's teaching. When you're in love with Jesus, you want to look at his word and you want to eat the word. The Word is actually love letters to your life. And so you have a hunger for the Word. If you have no hunger for the Word, you might want to check out your relationship to Christ. You might need to dig out some garbage. You might need to dig down to the rock. But if you never read the Word and you never miss it, you never quote it, you never memorize it, you don't have any devotional life, Devotional life is not some legalistic thing you have to do every day to be called a Christian. It's a thing you do because you have a living union with Christ. You want to talk with Jesus. You want to pray. You want to be in the Holy Spirit. You want to be in the Word. And you eat the Word of God. A disciple is a learner. One who intensely follows another's teachings. Third, this word means participation and discipling other people. When you really find something that's great for your life, you want to tell other people about it. And so when you become a Christian, when you become a disciple, when you actually have a personal union with Christ, when you actually become a lover of God, when you actually enter into that relationship where your sins are forgiven and your life is changed and you have a message of hope and a message of faith and a message that you want to share with your friends, nobody can shut you up. You're going to go... 
speak with your friends and your relatives and everybody in your school and around you. Why? Because you have such a boiling point. You're so full of the virtue of Jesus and you want to share that forgiveness and that love and that acceptance in your life that you actually will talk to people about Christ. People will tell to someone else about a shoe sale, a coat sale, a car sale. We have a whole generation of people right now that are going crazy over eBay to find something on eBay and and to chisel it down to buy it at the right price and tell your friends about it. If there's a sale going on somewhere or a good buy or something that you're really excited about or a good diet or a good exercise program or whatever it might be, it might even just be a good movie. You get passionate about it. You start talking about that movie You can explain to them about the movie. You can sell them on the movie. You will take them to see the movie because you are so excited about the movie. When you're in love with Jesus, then you have a changed life. To go and speak to people about that and to help them find Jesus becomes a passion. It's an easy thing to do. The problem with church evangelism is not evangelism itself. The problem is our relationship to Christ. And so as we fix the relationship, evangelism is an easy thing because we just speak out of our well. We speak out of our passion. We speak out of our love life. We speak out of the thing we have found. And we want to show someone else what we have found. A disciple, a true disciple, is a person who disciples other people. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and say, I need to disciple someone else. If you have no one to disciple, you're missing a great part of living. One of the greatest joys in life is to mentor someone else. Is to disciple them into something that is meaningful to you and you know will be meaningful to them and possibly totally change their life. You want to disciple them into it. A true disciple is a person who is so passionate about Jesus that they will disciple someone else. All right, let's define two things about a fully devoted disciple of Jesus. Number one, a fully devoted disciple of Jesus will enter the narrow gate. Matthew 7, if you have your Bibles. Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. If you mark your Bible, please mark the word narrow. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow, everyone say narrow, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Now, we have thousands and millions worldwide that find Jesus, but compared to the world population, it's only a few. Compared to how many could know Jesus right now in the metro area, it's only a few that do. We have thousands and thousands that don't. Why? Because they choose a broad way. That broad way can be a broad moral way, a broad philosophical way, a broad religious belief way. And our society is trying to open up the way larger all the time. We're trying to open up the gate philosophically and religiously so that all gods are the same. 
Jesus is no different than any other God. The Bible is no different than any other book. Matter of fact, you have to have such a tolerance toward those religions or you will offend them that they might even make a law so that we can't offend them because we're trying to even the playing field. Jesus is just another good teacher. The Bible's another good book. And there are many ways for you to find God. All these ways will lead to God. Jesus simply taught that is not true. A true disciple comes in through the narrow way. The word narrow gate means minutely precise, limited in scope, fixed and uh, restricted and exacting. That is the way into Christ, the message, John 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus says, I am the door, I am the way. If anybody comes in another way, they're a thief and a robber. There is no other door. There is no other way. There is no other gate. And the gate that I'm going to label for you is even narrower and more limited in scope and more exacting than you could ever imagine. Not only do you have to find me, but you have to believe in me. And if you believe in me, you have to follow me. If you follow me, you have to deny yourself. If you deny yourself, you have to pick up your cross. If you pick up your cross, you have to bear it. And so Jesus keeps narrowing the gate, narrowing the way. So what we have in our particular nation right now is a broad way. Many people coming into churches today might not be saved at all, might not be born again at all. They might enjoy the music. They might enjoy the social club of it. They might enjoy the safety of it. They might enjoy the great people around the church. But it doesn't mean they've ever found the narrow way. The narrow way is for you to accept Christ as your own personal Savior and for you to be born again. Precisely born again in Jesus is exacting. It's not guesswork. You don't have a lot of God to believe in. You have One God, you have one Christ, and you have one way. A fully devoted disciple is born again. John 3 and verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless, everyone say unless, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All are invited to become true disciples. There's no doubt about it. The message of the gospel is an invitation that goes out to all. But the terms of admission into the process of transformation is that we confess our sins. This is the narrow way. You've got to confess your sins. Accept Christ as your Savior. Become born again. And enter in the narrow way where you become a follower of Christ. You're born again. In the book of Acts, it speaks about the message of the kingdom of God that went out and they preached this born again message. And some people walked away from it resentful, offended, and saying it's too hard, just like they did with Jesus. The message is too hard. We don't want to come through the narrow way. We want to put a statue up for every God and every religion. We don't want to come through the one way. But Jesus says, I am the way. 
I'm the only person who can give you true life. I am the true vine. If you are in me and I'm in you, you will have true life. And that life will turn into eternal life. But you can't do it any other way. I am the true vine. I am the way. When you find Jesus and you're born again, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11, gives you a little description of those people that found Christ and what happened to them. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, that's a line in the sand. Do not be deceived. And Jesus does something that a lot of us preachers are afraid to do. So he spells it out. We're talking about discipleship. We're talking about being born again. We're talking about following Jesus. We're talking about a change life. Jesus says now through the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators. Fornicators, an old King James Bible word, simply means premarital sex, sex outside of marriage, fornication. Idolaters, anybody that has anything above Jesus, anything above Jesus is an idol. And if you worship it with your passion and your heart and your lifestyle, you become an idolater. Nor adulterers, and our nation seems to have some kind of a acceptance with adultery. We call it an affair, falling in love with someone else, emotionally entangled. The Bible simply says it's adultery. Sex outside of marriage, breaking your covenant vow. We have a nation that's breaking their covenant vows. We put it on television. We write books. We do plays. It's accepted amongst most of our nation that adultery is not all that bad. Unfortunately, in the church, it's accepted. Unfortunately, even with some leaders that commit adultery, they make excuses for it. But the Apostle Paul says, don't be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers. And then he says, homosexuals. It's in your Bible if you want to find it. I didn't make the word up. It came along before the politically right or wrong thinking people. Came along before you start making laws about same-sex marriage and homosexuals can't talk about them and accept a lifestyle. Before all of that, there's a scripture in your Bible that says, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, revilers, extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Then the apostle says, and such were some of you. But you were washed. Everyone say out loud, thank God. Thank God. You were washed, but you were sanctified. Everyone say, thank God. Sanctified, set apart. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Now, the Apostle Paul says to be born again, to find Christ, you have to put away this lifestyle that he just has given a list about. And if you don't put it away, you're deceived. You will not truly inherit the life of the kingdom of God because your life is being smothered by these things that you will not turn your back on. A disciple is a person who is truly born again. 
a fully devoted disciple experiences a changed future. Now, this should happen when I accept Jesus. Through their reception of Jesus Christ as Savior and the Christian faith as their defining philosophy of life. So when I accept Jesus, my philosophy of life totally changes. My philosophy of sin, my philosophy of what I can get away with, my philosophy of living, because now I have Christ in me, therefore I put away those things. True regenerate believers are technically, technically, disciples from the moment of spiritual birth. Now, this, of course, does not mean that everybody who technically becomes a first-base disciple, the beginning point, will become a mature disciple, will go on to follow Jesus. Some fall into spiritual slumber, some into spiritual deception, some into carnality, lukewarmness, religiosity. They begin to let their walk get smothered by the things around them. Their seed is choked by the cares of this world. The enemy comes after them and beats them up and robs them of the message of Christ in their life. We don't want that to happen. We want you to find victory in Jesus. We want you to walk with Jesus. We want you to be free from your past. We want you to be a true disciple of Christ. Turn to someone around you and say, you are called to be a disciple. We're going to help you to have a conviction to use your life as a disciple of Christ. A fully devoted disciple is a narrow gate person. Put away other philosophies. Put away other belief systems. Go for Jesus only. Go for the gospel. Go for salvation in the way the book defines salvation to be repentance. Accept Christ in your heart. Forgiveness of sins. Wash away the filth. Get a new start. Take a step forward. And Jesus and you begin to move into a brand new life. That's salvation. Then there comes... Water baptism. Acts chapter 2, a fully devoted disciple is water baptized. Acts 2.36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, Peter, the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? We, we feel the conviction. We know we've done something wrong. We know that Jesus really rose from the dead. Christ is really the son of the living God. And Peter said to them, repent. What's out loud? Repent. An old-fashioned word, isn't it? Repent. It's a Bible word. Metanel. Turn. Everyone say turn. Turn. Turn your life around. Turn away from sin. Turn away from the world. Turn away from evil. Turn away from darkness. Repent. And let every one of you be baptized. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in Matthew 20 and 19 here. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Romans 6, verse 3 and 4. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Baptism is into the cross. 
Baptism is into the burial of Christ. Baptism is into the death of the old man. It's into the death message of the cross. When I am baptized, something in me dies. When I am baptized, I identify with the burial of Christ, but also with the resurrection of Christ, to walk in newness of life. Water baptism is not just symbolic. It's a spiritual experience. Colossians 2.12 We should be buried with Him in baptism. Buried, immersed, dipped, put into in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. Water baptism should be taken more seriously in the Christian church today. Water baptism is not an option. Water baptism is not something you do maybe when you start feeling like, I probably should do that someday. Water baptism is a command. Water baptism is your public manifestation of something that inwardly is going on in your heart. We water baptize around City Bible Church all the time. You know that. And we do it for a reason. Why? Because the Bible teaches that those that are water baptized are doing something spiritually that has an impact upon their life. Baptism in the early church, that is the church of the first hundred years, is interesting. The preparation period, this is taken from one of the early church writers about the early church, first century. The preparation period... For those that were converted, that wanted to be baptized, lasted two to three years. And there were three grades of classes of catechism. Now, after the first hundred years, even toward the end of the first hundred years, there was a lot of heresies and doctrines and things that were going on that caused the, the church fathers to doubt people's salvation or to doubt whether they were believing in the true Jesus. And there was so much that was happening that came against the church they began to establish a catechism class where they would absolutely know every person that went through the teaching was truly a believer. They probably went too far. One, two, three years to do this. But it's interesting that they felt so concerned about true born-again believers and true salvation experiences that they weren't baptizing unsaved people. They came up with a catechism that had three categories to it. The hearers, the kneelers, and the chosen. The hearers, those who were permitted to listen to the reading of the scriptures and the sermons in the church, and they would watch their response. You could be a hearer for a period of time until they were convinced that you were taken in the word. Kneelers, those who received an advanced instruction, and they had to prove by their manner of living that they were worthy to go on to the next stage. They had to actually have some fruits of repentance, some habits change, some lifestyle manifestation. Something was going on inside of them. Then finally, they became what was called the chosen group. Those who were given intensive doctrinal training in preparation for water baptism because they knew there was a problem. I'm not saying we should wait a month, a week, a year, whatever. I think water baptism should take place as quickly as possible, but I do think we should baptize believers, people that have a born-again experience, people that have had a light change, people that want something to go on in their life in Jesus, and they're already manifesting that the Jesus in them is beginning to change their life. Baptism is an act of submission which must be proceeded by faith in Jesus, preceded 
by faith in Jesus and repentance of our sin. This precludes, in my mind, no infant baptism. It also precludes sprinkling or pouring water on because baptism is a dipping into, but it's also a work of faith in a person's heart. Baptism can only come to a person in a spiritual way if there's something spiritually going on inside of them. If not, you baptize a dry sinner and they come up a wet sinner and nothing has changed. Baptism is a mark of separation from the kingdom of darkness. It is symbolic, yes. Yet, a real spiritual experience that we believe for, pray for, and that's why we have so much preparation for baptism and the laying on of hands when they go into the tank and pray for them. Why? We believe it's a spiritual experience. It is baptism into the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. By baptism in His death, we are cut off from our former life. Maybe you haven't had a proper foundation laid. Maybe your former life is still holding on. Maybe there are some habits that have never been cut off. Could it be that you need to be water baptized properly with a spiritual experience, with a heart of faith? Maybe you were baptized in a backsplitting condition or you were baptized at too early of an age to really understand what was going on in your life. Baptism should work out of your spiritual life after you've had faith in Christ and then you move on to be water baptized. Sometimes we baptize children too young and that's why we try to make them wait a little while to make sure they understand the work of faith inside of them. I've had too many people come back later on in their teen years or their 20s or their 30s and say, I was baptized as a child, but I didn't know what was going on. I need to be baptized now because now I have faith for what's happening. That's why we want to make sure that you have faith for your baptism. By baptism into his death, we're cut off from the former life. By immersion into the water, we bury the old man and the old life. By rising out of the water, we experience resurrection and newness of life. Baptism is a powerful experience because it's the sign and seal of your new covenant. And it's a mark of entrance into that new covenant. In the Old Testament, it was circumcision in the Abrahamic covenant. In the New Testament, water baptism replaces Old Testament fleshly circumcision. Water baptism cuts away something in the foreskin of your heart. Water baptism does something to actually operate inside of you. Romans chapter 2, 28 and 29 speaks about an operation made without hands how the knife of God comes and actually does surgery and operation upon the inner man happens in the waters of baptism. It's not just dead water and we do it as a formalism or we do it as a symbolism. We do it as a spiritual act with spiritual power and something spiritually happens to people. If you've never been water baptized, you need to do so with faith. If you've never been truly born again, you need to do so with faith. And I would like everyone to bow their head. I want to pray for you right now. To become a fully devoted follower of Christ. Be born again. Water baptized. Cut off the old life. Just stretch your hands out to Jesus right now. Father God, I pray right now that the Spirit of the living God will fall upon these people. Lord, I pray that you will make us truly 
fully devoted followers of Christ. You will work in our life a work that will be so deep and so magnificent that we will bear much fruit in the days to come. Those that need Christ, those that need to rededicate, deal with them right now in this service. Those who need prayer, deal with them right now in this service.